Hello and welcome to Armenia by the Glass podcast. My name is Elaine Kasabian and my guest today for this episode 4 is Franz Harutunian. Franz is the head winemaker of his family's winery, Maran, in Armenia. Maran Winery work with indigenous grapes, as well as international ones, and produce wines under the labels Noravank, Malahi, Bagratuni and Zarn. Franz obtained his PhD in winemaking from the National Agrarian University of Armenia and trained at some of the most prestigious wineries in France, such as Chateau Mouton Rothschild in Bordeaux. He was also deputy director of the Vine and Wine Foundation. Bruns and his family undertake incredibly adventurous projects, from a high-altitude vineyard located 2,000 metres above sea level, bringing back to life an ancestral vineyard with vines over 200 years old, an ageing wine underwater at the top of Aragats Mountain. I was so impressed and fascinated with Frunz's projects. I think you are really going to enjoy this episode. Pano Frunz, thank you for being my guest today. I've been really looking forward to talking with you. There are so many projects that you've got going on at the moment. So I was really keen, really keen to talk to you today. And before we start talking about your projects, it'd be really great if you could tell our listeners a bit about yourself. Uh, thank you greatly, Elaine, because for the invitation to the podcast. Actually, it's my first podcast, and I hope it would be, mom, it would be okay. <laughs> sure, it'd be great. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So I'm Frunz. I'm, I'm a winemaker. Come from a family of winemakers, and. Uh, uh, so I have started, uh, I enrolled to the Agrarian University and uh, pick up, picked the winemaking as the major and um, did a, my fair bit of travels to <clears throat> old wine world from fr- France regions, from Bordeaux to Burgundy and every other ones to Germany and Italy. And uh, eventually I wrapped up my education doing um, defending a PhD thesis in Armenia. In uh, the thesis was indigenous varieties and their potential in winemaking. And what did you study um, outside of Armenia? Not formal study outside. I mean, I had my degrees from Yerevan, but I, I did my winemaking. I gathered my winemaking experience mostly from abroad and from my dad's um, um pitching you know so i did travel to uh, extensively and did vinifications and harvests in the, in a lot in a lot of places and yeah. you'd worked for some very prestigious wineries haven't you my first internship was in muton rothschild like in the premier crew um uh, winery and yes it was an elite uh, opportunity it was a chance meeting with uh, Mouton's then uh, director general, and he invited me to have this internship in Mouton. It's it it kickstarted my career, not career, not the career, but the educational path. Afterwards, I was really keen finding uh, other wineries and then doing harvests in other places. After that, uh, mostly there were family wineries across France. For my uh, for my bachelor degree years, so four years, I was traveling in different regions. Then I did a winemaking season in Sicily and had quite a bit of trainings in in Germany, in Italy as well. So yeah, it was it was a winemaker's 
winemaker's path. I mean, this 10 years, an extensive one, I think. Well, absolutely. So you said you come from a winemaking family. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yes, I come from a winemaker's family. It, it, the origin dates back to the beginning of 19th century when our ancestors repatriated from Persia in 1828 which they were forcefully um, exiled during the 17th century uh, Persian king's uh, orders. And after Armenia joined the Russian Empire, under the treaty terms, uh, the Armenians in Persia's northern provinces or uh, across the Persia were allowed to return to their homeland. And so did our ancestors, and they returned in 1828, and they settled in their home village that they left uh, 200 years ago. Um, so they resettled, uh, resettled there and they planted the village's first vineyard. The family, family's mother was, she was called Mariam, and in short, they called her Maran. So, so Maran with, with the soft R, not the hard R. So, uh, and, the, and the family was known as Maran's folks um throughout the village and still now uh, everyone calls us maran family and uh, maran folks yeah so when when you when you when you talk to the villagers and uh, in the villages it's a common thing but back then we had another uh, another family name so another surname but uh, and the surname has changed throughout these 200 years still um our family and uh, different branches of the family are referred as maran folks so anyway, so anyway, our the, our company derives the, the name from that, and they started making wine. They had the semi-industrial wine press, which existed until 1920s when the Soviets came and they nationalized everything, and they eventually the the press was uh, ruined. Uh, of course, it, throughout Soviet Union rule, there were there were no activities whatsoever. And after the collapse of Soviet Union, this land that belonged to Maran, this one, the one hectare, around one hectare vineyard, was given away to a number of people under privatization law. Uh, during the Soviet Union, there, was no, there were no private properties, only, only public. And after the collapse, they started to give away the lands and had a really strange logic doing that. So one hectare could have been divided into 10 pieces. How we revived the tradition. So my father was responsible for that. He, he studied, um, enrolled in the Agrarian University in the 80s, in the, in the late 70s, and graduated Agrarian University and started his PhD program in uh, PhD education in Crimea. Which, which at that time was the center of uh, scientific research and in winemaking and viticulture throughout Soviet Union. So after defending his thesis, he came back to, to Yerevan, uh, started working as a scientist. And when the Soviet Union ceased to exist, he opened the company officially. So it is registered in 1991. And is one of the first officially um, registered winemaking companies in Armenia. And uh, and he started and he started making wine with my mother. Um, yeah. uh, garage garage wine at, at the beginning, so they didn't have any means or um, uh, places to 
to have a production or capital to invest in that. Um, and he continued working as a scientist. So fast forward um, 30 years. Now we have um, vineyards and we have a winemaking facility and winemaking technologies. We export to seven or eight international markets. We are a, we are a known producer. So and and I enrolled to the to the winemaking as well, and continue this tradition. So I think these ancestors from 1828 would be proud. Absolutely, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, for sure. And with such a history of winemaking, you have an ancestral vineyard, and you recently revived it by mm. cultivating. 200-year-old vines? So when the Soviet Union collapsed, they gave away this land that was our uh, ancestor vineyard. So everyone knew that the Maran planted it uh, when they came back from Persia. It's really fascinating when you, when you talk to these old people in the village and they have this tradition of oral, oral history, yeah, that they heard about it from their parents and their parents have heard about it from their parents and and so on, and everyone knew um, everything about the village, and everyone knew that the the vineyard was planted when the uh, <clears throat> when the Maran and everyone else uh, resettled in this village in 1828. And so this this vineyard was abandoned in um, in 1991 when Armenia was independent. At that time, um, and no one no one really cared. No one really cultivated the vineyard because of the social economical situation um, was not was was bad. So the village the villagers who suddenly has suddenly found themselves owners of this vineyard because they gave away the the properties really randomly. They really didn't know how to manage it or you know how to cultivate it. So it was abandoned for thirty years. And uh, last year, uh, this year, beginning of this year, we could acquire acquire a large portion of it back. So, and uh, it it was really fascinating still to tread in a vineyard where uh, no one to uh, irrigate a vineyard that no one really, no water touched it in decades. Right. So, and these vines, a resilient vines, really. I was going to ask, yeah, what were the condition of the, you know, what were the condition of the vines? These vegetal organs were really shrunk um, and really dry. So we did, we had a really intensive job of pruning. Um, so we did a lot of pruning there and um, we irrigated it and it started to come back to life. And even we had some, some bunches this year. But of course. Wow. But of course, uh, starting next year, it will give some fruits only. So it's too early. In a couple of years, it will get back to life. Right. Um, uh, we're pretty sure. Did you have the vines tested to see their age? Yeah, actually, we did. Uh, not the age, not the age, because you cannot, you cannot taste, test the age. Uh, yeah, because um, the one only mean to test the age is to chop the vine and and count the um, these circles that the plant leaves behind while it grows and the 
trunk gets thicker and thicker. So I, I, I wouldn't really sacrifice a really old plant to see the exactly. But uh, we did another, another kind of testing. We tested the, the varieties. We did a DNA testing of a couple of varieties, um, around 10 samples we sent to a genetic um, examination. Out of 10, eight were, were really indigenous <clears throat> varieties. Um, it, you know, when you, find, when you find this kind of old vineyard, there, are, there may be two possibilities about the varietals. One is that it would be really the known varieties, so nothing really exotic will come up, you know, in abandoned old vineyards because, you know, these are the pure vineyards. 200 years ago, there was no plant material transfer, uh, intensive transfer between the regions, so they should be really consistent with the, uh, with the varietal pool that is really characteristic to this region. So partly the DNA test proved this thesis. So out of 10 samples, eight were really a promi prominent and known varieties of bios, like Voskehat, Areni, Tozo, this and this and this. <clears throat> but out of 10, two varieties were unknown. Oh. So there were no, uh, yeah, so there were no um, record about these varieties, about varieties with this kind of DNA um, passport. In, 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 and that means that new varieties are indeed autochthonous or indigenous varieties, which were not explored um, until now. Um, and uh, I think I think we will have chance. We will have a chance to um, have a greater uh, number of samples tested and see if any, any other surprises or interesting th interesting things will come out of that so that's fascinating so those two where you couldn't identify them could you not identify them against the collection in armenia yeah or? against against okay. any collection in the world because oh again in the whole yeah, world because um wow um collaborate with a, a very known scientist here with christina uh, markarian uh, from the institute of molecular biology and she is a really um professional, a big professional in this area and uh, does all DNA testings all the time of Armenian varieties. Um, so we did it with, with, in collaboration with her. And uh, yeah, and she told us uh, we, had, we have the passports and it's obvious that these varieties were not recorded before in any of the databases. I don't, I don't, I don't say that these varieties will be, you know, break breakthrough varieties in terms of technology or revolutionize anything. It could as well be moderate or good varieties in terms of winemaking quality. But the same but the fact that you know you 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 contribute to the gene fund, gene pool, um, it's important. Yeah. It's important. So one one more thing that really um, really amazed me is the bio, it was the biodiversity in the vineyard. So it had so many plants there. I mean, um, usually in the vineyards, conventionally managed or organically managed. It doesn't matter. Of course, organically is better. Uh, but uh, in this vineyard that was really abandoned, it had so many plants, different plants. 
it was beautiful. It was like a tapestry of uh, plants uh, on the soil. So, yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating place. Uh, you should visit the, uh, the vineyard when you have opportunity. I'd love to. Must have had loads of flowers. Were there flowers, or was it was it just plant based? Uh, well, I think mostly plant, but also some flowers. Um, I, I want to invite some um, professionals to identify the plants as well. But yeah, but for the sake of not that not searching for something sensational, but for the sake of um, being more conscious about uh, what's around you, you know. You also have. Uh, a high altitude vineyard. You tell us a bit about that. Uh, I, I need to give a little bit of background. So we're just not a family of winemakers. My father, Avak, uh, is also a scientist. So, and one of the main contributors to the independent Armenian winemaking science world, he is one of the founders of the concept of Armenian terroir. And and explored and explored every major terroir terroirs in Armenia. So, um, uh, so that that will that that brings us to the modern to to this topic. So, for us in the winemaking, we don't really only pursue business motives, but but as well topics that are genuinely interesting to us. And challenging as well. Climate change is a big issue now nowadays, and everyone is talking about the climate change. Um, and we can see the impact of climate change in our valley. We can see that the yeah climate gets warmer and warmer. The grapes are more sugary and sugary, and uh, you know it's a thing for winemaking too. For England, for England, it may open new opportunities. <laughs> But for Armenia's plains, I mean, I think it will make the life harsher and uh, difficult, more difficult. So, so we had this idea for quite some time that uh, to plant a vineyard in a higher elevation than previously existed. To we proposed the idea that uh, one of the Options for the Armenian winemaking to survive, quality winemaking, is to climb the, climb the mountains. So go higher and higher. You get a, a better maturation, slower maturation. And but this project um, wasn't really. You need to have, you need to have the balance. You need to strike the balance between science and business. So it would, wouldn't be really a niche, not important. For the industry thing, so it should have some implications and some meaning. Um, it should be sustainable um, financially as well, and of course, of course, ecologically as well. Um, so we we devised this plan to have a really to plant a vineyard, really um, in not innovative but uh, really not typical. I would say, yeah, not typical. Well, we picked the place which is right next to a major touristic route and in the same village as our ancestral vineyard is. So it's our ancestral village of Artabuink. So it has a mountain and a cliff and there, are, there is a really old monument called Tsakhatskar. 
and we decided to to choose a spot where we can where we can have the vineyard um, which will have a south facing our orientation it would be a slope because the slope um, uh, gets more sunlight than the plain so so it was a calculation based on touristic routes future um, financial flows and um, you know a conscious decision about this um, orientation of this um, land and how much sunlight you will get etc etc and also the scientific purpose needed to be well defined when we had all these elements in our mind settled, then we had to figure out how to finance the project because it was really ambitious. Um, there, there is no road to this. Um, there is no road for usual cars to this place, and even forerunners are or not every forerunner can climb there. So it was an ambitious and um, a really expensive project. Gladly, we had found uh, organizations that think same way as we did they shared our ideas so we could plant this vineyard it was a hard and arduous process really it was i mean to get all these uh, poles and stakes up to this elevation to this with these cars and um, um, special cars and etc and also this project was biodiversity driven so we had, you know, we were adamant that we wouldn't cut any trees, we wouldn't use any machinery, um, and we will try to preserve the biodiversity as much as we can. <clears throat> so this vineyard, if you find the photos, you can see that there are trees in between the rows of the of the vines and bushes as well. So we didn't cut anything and they will grow together with the vineyard. Also, we put an electrical fence to, um, to shoo the bears away because we had a bear problem quite a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because they were, they were coming visiting the vineyard and uh, <laughs> having a bite of the of these wooden poles. We imported wooden poles. That's one of the well, that was one of the hardest things. I mean, because it was such a biodiversity driven project it was it should have harmonic with the nature and we really, really couldn't use metal or concrete there so we decided to have wooden poles and in armenia nobody produces them so so we imported the wood from uh, from russia where they have commercially available farming lands for the wood and um, you know that's how it should be um, and uh, when you see it every plant has an individual individual pole why is that important? Because we decided not to terraform the, the slope, not to create terraces, not to disturb the land. We, we are not going to disturb the soil la layers as well. Yeah, so it, 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 preserved, it preserved the natural landscape, I mean, the natural uh, soil layer. And we don't have these trellises. Uh, we, didn't, we don't have wire to preserve these, uh, you know, ups and downs. We didn't remove the big stones or rocks or um, or anything. So um, it's a really a spectacular place. I mean, 
It's really a spectacular place. When you sit there, when you see that, I mean, the, on top of you feel like the, you feel like you're on top of the world because you see these cliffs, the mountains, and so this vineyard is like in the focal point of you know science meeting ambitious winemaking viticulture projects meeting um, biodiversity driven philosophy and so it's really something so eventually when you do have a harvest you'll have to harvest by hand the thing is that this vineyard will be cultivated without um any machinery at all um and uh we are not going to move around the soil so you know, and we are going. No, we are not going to use pesticides, herbicides, anything. It will be all. Uh, we'll just cut the, cut the, cut the grass, and uh, pick the harvest. So if we are lucky enough to have the harvest, because it's an ambitious project, we should wait and see four years period. How, <laughs> how will the harvest be? And, uh, uh, and uh, you never know. I mean, I'm I'm confident and I'm confident that the project will succeed because if not for the for the bold red wines, at least we'll get a really refined uh, light red or spectacular white or sparkling wine. So after all, uh, I think it's a, it's a really really nice project. It's a really nice project. And going back to this. Um, initial idea how and why we do it we search things that fascinate us ideas that fascinate us um, because without that we'll just uh, get tired and unmotivated it's, un- it's in our blood to to create something not just make it because I always say there's a difference between making something and creating something like in Armenian, you say ararum, you know, So they are they are wines that are created. They are wines that are um, made. So we need we need some kind of challenge. We need something in, that will pull us. And you know, you said, "It just sounds amazing." Yeah, yeah. We have we have the the photos. I think like we have some photos. Also, we have the photo of the. Uh, bear's mark, you know, that he left on the on the wooden pole. So I didn't realize that bears were such a big issue. Mountainous villages, they always have the bear problem. Do they? Um, yeah, because you need to you need to provide the bears um, food and the means to survive and not to go in conflict with the with the human. Um, and next year we plan to plant fruit trees, wild fruit trees. Um, uh, in uh, in some distance from the vineyard, so the bears in the future will not to have to go down to the village mm. in, in the search of the food. Sounds like a good plan, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but just just grow wild trees. Yeah. Um, in the in the perimeter of the vineyard. I've just thought of um, Achtamar band that goes around it, which has got the vineyard in it. They've actually got a bear in there. Yeah. But the, this bear is another bear, and this bear on the or how you call it on the carving, yes. the rock carving. The bear represents the enemy who entered the the garden, yeah, uh, which is the country, the symbol of the country, and the farmer is the king or the people yes. who fights the bear. So 
the, the bear on Achtama's depiction is a, is the enemy. Yes. But the bears we have are fluffy and uh, I think friendly <laughs> and they're really an uh, <laughs> <laughs> integral part of our nature. So yes. we need to be good with them. I mean, absolutely. They're, 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 yeah. they're part of the environment. Absolutely. Yeah, they should be. And now on to your next project. When I read about this, I was like, oh, God, I really have to chat to you. It's your um, aging of your some of your wines underwater. Yeah, the, the Halder Aragats. wine. Yeah, the Halder wine, Aragats Mountain. I remember how it all began. I mean, I was sitting in a wine cafe. It was a summer day and I was really relaxed. And I knew about this, um, about this thing about this underwater aging thing. So, uh, but I, I never thinking that someone should do it in Armenia because, because you know, part of it's it's part of the being uh, of a bigger world, not to be detached from everything and uh, to follow the trends in a good way. Yeah, you know, to be conscious about it. Uh, um, so I was thinking about it and. I was thinking that it'd be great that someone d- does it. But I'm not going to do it because financially it's a burdensome at the beginning because uh, it's, it's a heavy capital investment and you don't know when, 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 will, you, when will you get <clears throat> the investment back. And, you know, you can't really have these projects done by yourself. I mean, sure. you know, the High Altitude Vineyard Project had three donors. Yes. And... Even then, it was a heavy, it, it is a heavy thing on our shoulders to really manage it. Yeah, such a remote area. So anyway, so and then I had a friend visiting in this cafe, and I told him, and he's from he's an IT guy, and I told him, look, uh, Michael, you have such a boring life with your <laughs> IT. <laughs> Why don't you look? Why don't you make an underwater? <laughs> why don't you invest in something that's more exotic, uh, interesting? I'm not. I'm not going to do it myself because I'm. I. I mean, I, I'm not. I can't pull it off by myself. I mean, I'm too busy, and uh, you know, I already have. So my my hands are full. Um, I told him, you know, I mean, it's it's a win-win situation. You'll get a really prestigious, interesting. Um, um, and, and <laughs> tasty wine and uh, and a really really um, uh, loud project. Um, it will you will diversify your you know activities. Uh, and I'm a, uh, and of course you're an IT guy. You earn much more money than me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you have the means. So come on, invest in it. And then I, uh, and then we started doing it. Um, and then uh, of course it was like magic how how it came to be all together how the how the name came to be how the lake came to be how how the design of this wine came to be because the design is one of the things i'm really fascinated about whenever i hold whenever i hold the halde bottle i'm really mesmerized about this design the design was done by a Spanish company. I don't think this this kind of designs are a regular thing because the Spanish company also has designs that are really regular as well. So you never know what will be, but even they were really amazed about this. So why we did it? I mean, if we dissect it into several pieces, the motivation behind it. So one of them was to 
not to not to fall behind of this of the new trends. Uh, second of all, was to again, it was an ambitious project, and we wanted we liked a challenge. Um, the third was the scientists' curiosity, scientists' curiosity. So scientists in us was curious about this technology. Um, does it really affect the wine? <clears throat> so we started it, and we started really seriously. We ordered stainless steel tanks. We ordered te temperature probes that were logging the temperature throughout the year. And we did send the samples to, to lab analysis for every possible meaningful substance changes that may occur and contribute to the general picture. So, astonishingly, the wine did change. It was in Aragats Lake for 12 months, and half of the year the Aragats Lake is covered with ice, and the temperature showed us it fluctuated from 10 degrees to 1 degree Celsius. So, throughout the year. So, so, I mean, we did send the, the samples to labs, um, and we find out that the polyphenolic compounds that really are responsible for the red wine's quality as well as healthy effect, they were preserved more in Halde wine than in the control sample, which was in the fridge, <laughs> in a conventional fridge. Um, in a con the conventional fridge uh, has around four degrees Celsius. So we, we try to emulate the same situation without the water and to understand if we deal only with the temperature. Um, so it wasn't the temperature. So we, and then we started taste, testing the wines and tasting them with, with um, oh, many different professionals. I mean, from wine, uh, winemakers from Armenia, from abroad, sommeliers, chef sommeliers, head of schools, and this and that, and really, the red wines got a lot softer. Oh, really? Even to so the, that you could really taste a difference. Yes, you can really taste, okay. yeah, yeah, you can really taste the difference. And that's one of the one of, that was one of the things that really was haunting me because I convinced this friend of mine to invest in something that I wasn't sure it's gonna work or not, and <laughs> I was I was really afraid of you know popping up the bowl and bottle and seeing if it changed at all or not. I, I, I'm I'm really honest. I mean, if it hasn't changed, I wouldn't really have it in the market. So so we we can't really um, pursue something that is just a marketing stunt. So it did change. And contrary to the white wines that we put, that we put some samples of whites, they didn't change at all. So oh, really? no effect, yeah. Mm. No effect. And um, so we did this project three years in secrecy, two years in secrecy, um, until we were really sure that, you know, the, that there is a really well observable effect it really um, changes the wine in, and changes it in a good way <clears throat> because 
Because, yeah, because whenever we talk about wines, and uh, whenever we talk about wines, whenever we talk about bottle age, there are several criteria criteria that affect the bottle age. So the temperature, the biggest one, and the air transfer through the core. So there, it's no surprise that the water aging should affect the wine. It's no surprise because you alter, you drama- drastically alter these two criteria of oxygen and, and temperature. But, right. but of course, um, it could have gone in a wrong way like i mean it it could have been altered and and as a result you will receive something that's not really satisfying but come and see i mean uh, it got better we had two batches of halde um and we put with the second batch we put some bottles from the first batch and we did a comparative tasting Uh, um, the wines the samples that had Second chance to be underwater or 12 more months. They were tasting different than the no. regular water aged temples and they were more harmonic. <laughs> so, Gosh. so this, uh, so it appears these wines are, um, yeah, this technology works. And uh, the wine itself, uh, we consider it as a small souvenir and a small gift from us, from our company to the winemaking world of Armenia because it's something that will make uh, Armenian winemaking more loud. Absolutely, and noted for. In some ways. Yeah, yeah, in some ways. And for us, it's a a really lovely piece of product, I would say. I mean, people like it to have it as a gift and it looks beautiful. It looks really nice. Yeah, I've seen it. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's absolutely. It's just fast. I'm just absolutely fascinated by, by that. And are you? You're continuing with the project. Are you still? Yeah, we're still you've doing. You still it. got wines underwater. Yeah, we uh, currently we we are going to put them in two days on Friday. We have this. Uh, we have this descend. I mean, I mean, it's a really an arduous project process. I mean, you can't imagine how difficult it is. I mean, um, because. The lake, this high elevation, three thousand two hundred meters, it 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 really affects the biology. I mean, you start feeling different. You get tired really fast. You get really lots of sun, sun rays, ultraviolet radiation, and um, um, it's really physically tiresome. Um, and it's really complicated to organize because you need to have you need to have uh, different crews of people there. People that will handle the bottle, people that will um, really a crane that will handle the tanks and the containers and and the divers, the scuba divers that will need to dive in this cold water and really organize it underwater. All these tanks, all these connections, and um, how I, and then this all these barrels are floating for some time to to deflate these um, air balloons and to have a, the right coordinate to pull it to right place and then descend it and then this and then that. Um, I hadn't imagined any of that. I mean, I you know, you said divers. I just, uh, stupidly, I didn't even think about yeah, actually you, how you, do they get you, it to yeah, the bottom. You don't just plunk it in. Yeah, you can. You, you need people to take it down exactly. and yeah. fix it there and yeah absolutely. and you need to have a diver backup <laughs> right and, and then you need to have someone who's backing up the main dive and then 
you know um, right uh, it's it's something. I mean, we leave uh, at seven in the morning and we come back at seven in the evening. So it takes a whole round, right, to get it right. I mean, it's, right. It's, and every time in the end, I, I'm so tired. And um, maybe yeah. I mean uh, in the beginning because it was everything was so new and we were new, different techniques. Sure. Yeah. So and we were really um, having such ideas that why even we are doing this? So. <laughs> um yeah but now now we are more uh, trained and um and um yeah and i think it, it goes to a degree more um more um, more polished i mean more smooth yeah yeah well as i think i said to you before we started the podcast i read an article in a major wine magazine and um they were talking about underwater aging and you know yeah it was a very well-known wineries and i would it's going to be great for it to be mentioning you guys and have if this happening in armenia it puts again armenia on the map yeah i think so yeah i mean i mean um i don't really um i'm i'm not really ambitious about this i mean the project is ambitious but we are not really trumpeting it like a uh, world first or for me, I, I, I like to use this word "adjective beautiful," and yeah. not really describing the, the the physical appearance only, but these all ideas as a whole. So it's a beautiful project. It's it's it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful. It, it makes a beautiful transformations um, next to it because people get excited about it. I mean. I yeah. mean, people want to get involved in it and they want to come to this lake and to be a witness to this process and, yeah, be involved in it. And I have friends who really didn't really have any, any, anything, um, any, any, anything common with the winemaking or really. Right. It. And then they were asking like, oh, next time pick me up as well. I'm going to help you out with it. <laughs> And really, we have a lot of volunteers from the friends side. <laughs> so that's great. Uh, we yeah. need the volunteers because it's yeah. really a, a physically intensive thing. <laughs> so another spot that you should visit. Um, definitely. So the Kari Lake. Definitely. You should visit <laughs> and be a witness to the Halde processes. I don't know where you get the time to do all of these amazing things, actually. I mean, there's just, it's not. It's not like they're easy projects. They are really complex. Um, but you're also now involved with the Garmir Plur project. Uh, this whole thing started from Halde, actually, because <clears throat> Halde is an Urartian, is the Urartian god and the head of the pantheon. Um, and why we picked the name for it, for the Halde, because he was the god mainly... The the only god mainly mentioned uh, um, next to the wine uh, references or vineyard or when Urartian kings were planting vineyards they were like honoring this Haldi Halde and <clears throat> so also also this god is known as to be born from from um, from a mountain so it is born from a mountain so. So it really, really came together. <clears throat> and to be really uh, correct with our assumptions or conclusions, uh, we approached the head of the we approached the head of the Erebunimbuzen, 
Mikhail Badalian. Um, and we had chat about it. And of course, then from one thing to another, um, I just asked him, look, Mikhail, Erebuni Museum and Garmi Blur were like one of the most prominent um, <clears throat> and prominent archaeological uh, evidences that really uh, um, give the Armenian wine a spotlight that it deserves, you know, um, because through these Karmic Blur Karasis, everyone knows Armenian winemaking, you know. Um, and I asked him, you know, until now, Erebuni gave so much to the Armenian winemaking. How we can be helpful to help, help with some really specific thing, not too big and not too small, something that can be done realistically, I will help you. I'll help organizing and collecting the funds needed for that. So, and then he told me that in Garmin Blue, they recently noticed shapes of some structures that were previously hidden by a layer of sand. Um, the sand got washed away due to the torrents, torrential rains, and um, etc. Um, and he says, he told me that Frunz, these structures are going to be something unique, even maybe revolutionary, revolutionary in, in the scope of Garmish Blur excavation. And I told him, okay, how much the project will cost? About, so he told me about 4,000 US dollars. And I told him, the winemakers, I will, I will, I will do the first donation. So we did have a charity. We did have the Halde presentation at the Erebuni Museum. So one of the things that I'm really proud of, <clears throat> you know, um, if there are existing existing centers of knowledge and culture, it's not necessary to create new things, you know. Um, it's one approach, but I don't, I don't really favor this approach, you know. Um, you, should, you should probably sustain the existing prominent ones. And so, um, and so I, I, I did this Halde presentation in Erebuni, which is a great honor. Um, and, and of course, there was the big fresca of Halde himself there. We did have the presentation there, and you know it was something. Um, and then at the end of the present, at the end of the presentation, um, we did the charity sales, and the for six hundred US dollars, I think, we donated the first symbolic donation in our winery. And I started collecting these funds for this garbage blue, and. Um, we already collected more than half of it. The fundraiser, um, with the help of our friends from abroad and Armenia, especially from US, <clears throat> they set up the fundraiser on Facebook, and um, and part of it is already collected. We have just a bit left. Um, 
well, not a very small bit, <laughs> but uh, anyway, we are more than half. We have, uh, we are true, so we collected more than half. Um, and the the works have started, and Mikhail is posting the photos from the excavations, and you can see that they are uh, they are un uncovering a really huge wall. And it would be fascinating to understand. And uh, so whoever listens to the podcast as well, feel free to be part of this fundraiser and initiative and support, Absolutely. Yeah, support excavation. I will leave notes in the podcast notes yeah. for the link to the um, fundraiser um, so that people, whoever listens to this, can make the donations. It's a one-in-a-lifetime chance to be part, to be involved in this. I mean, you are going to live your, you know, you'll be, you be involved in something, in Garmi Blur itself. I mean, you're going to leave your trace there. Very exciting. Well, friends, I won't keep you any longer. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I'm just blown away by your projects, really. I just can't wait to come and meet you. Come to your vineyard if you'll accept me and have a look at what you're doing. It's just amazing, absolutely amazing, really. Thank you. Thank you for, for your words. And uh, yeah, I think, I mean, these projects are meaningful if they, they are really valued for, by, um, by others as well, not only by us, um, you know. Yeah. So we do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do we do it for the people. Yes. Enough. For everyone. So it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh my pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and write a review. And please share the episodes with your friends. Feel free to get in touch at Armenia by the glass at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you.